It's uh, John Jensen, CEO of uh, Latitude Uranium, formerly known as Labrador Uranium, and uh, happy to be here today to to, uh, to give everybody an overview of the story. We have two exciting assets. Our historical assets have been in Labrador, uh, which is in the eastern side of Canada, uh, and just recently we acquired the Engelac project, which is in the territory of Nunavut, again in Canada. So both assets, district scale potential, uh, both have existing resources, and both uh, both in safe jurisdictions uh, in Canada. So. Exciting from that standpoint, we're fully funded this year. We have about $15 million in the bank. We'll be spending $8 million in Angolac. We'll be spending $4 million in Labrador. Uh, in Labrador, the main thing that's going on is a ground survey, which is going to identify and try to identify more uranium resources, as well as identify the team thinks that there's some IOCG potential, iron oxide, copper, gold. So we'll see if, if that's true. It will show up in the survey. And interestingly, in Anglac, at $8 million, we're going to do about a 6,000-meter drill program. We are a little over halfway done that. We should have some results coming out second week in August, which uh, will hopefully show people that uh, you know the existing resource there is 43 million pounds. It has a world-class grade of 0.69. For those in uranium, they can realize that that's in the top, uh, that's in the top 10 grades uh, globally. And for those not in uranium, uh, you know, if you do it at current rock values, it's about a 16, 17 gram ore body in, in a gold equivalent. So it's uh, it's extremely high grade. Uh, and our shareholders and uh, those involved in the company have said, that's great. Let's make it world grade in terms of size. And then we've, we've truly got a world grade asset. So we're very excited about that. Again, fully funded. We're, we're getting going right now. And um, results are going to start coming in a few weeks and should uh, should persist through the end of the year. Chillin. Well, it- I was about to kind of describe you as the new kid on the block, but I think it's an unfair description based on what you've just told me. Um, let's, you, you got the money, you got, you got the assets, you got the powers on the ground, so a uh, bit of an unfair advantage for sure. Um, let's just start with um, giving people a little bit of background on you, because we've not filmed uh, or spoken on, on screen before. So yeah, what's your background? Yep. Uh, background is a, a more of a financial person, although I do have a fairly good uh, geological meta geo by trade, but... Uh, I've worked in investment banking for about 15 years, exclusively in mining, uh, which is fine. So we've done great, good clients. But typically, investment banking, it's tend to be more gold and copper, uh, just because that's where the industry has been. Or we'll see where clean tech takes the industry, but uh, that's where it's been historically. Um, how I got involved in the company is Phil Williams, who our chairman is. We worked together at a firm called Westwind. He was a uranium analyst, and I was in banking. We got along quite well. So uh, when he told me about uh, this, the Anklak acquisition. I was extremely excited. I'm extremely bullish on uranium. I do believe that uh, you know there's a five to ten year bull cycle coming in uranium. Uh, you know we can go through why that is. Um, and on the operational side, I've uh, I've been a VP corporate development strategy for a company called Semifo that was uh, sold to Endeavor, uh, based in the UK, uh, approximately the summer of 2020. And I've been on the board uh, on an operational turnaround for a company called North American Palladium. That's been a Palladium asset in uh, North Bay or North Ontario. And that was sold in late 99 or late 2019 for about a billion dollars. So I've been up big and I've been small and I've been in the in-between. So, but, uh, you know, really excites me about this is the team. The board's quite good, uh, good supportive board. We've had people who's worked at the project before. And also our VPX is a uranium gal named Nancy Normar. She's extremely good. She's worked at Kigavik, which is just north of us in Nunavut. Uh, and she's worked in Saskatchewan. She's probably got about a 15-year history in uranium. And so, uh, you know, targeting and, you know, our sole, our, really our sole focus at Angloc is, is increasing the resource from 43 million pounds. Um, and uh, she's uh, she's well qualified to do that. And 
hopefully the results we're going to start releasing are going to demonstrate that to people. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the, the band strength there because there's a few names people will will recognize. Obviously, you, met, you mentioned Phil Williams already, but Justin Reed, Jim Peterson, um, as well in there. So, what, what's the track of them to this uh, project? Well, Justin used to be uh, he used to be the uranium analyst uh, before he got in the gold uh, at a firm called Cormark back when the boom happened. So he's quite uh, he actually worked at Paladin before uh, operationally. So he's uh, he's quite a quite a good resource in terms of uranium and sort of who's who and uh, and all that, that's very good. Uh, Jim's uh, obviously the old CEO of Valor. And interestingly, I, I think the best or one of the greatest nuggets that came to the company was with Valor. It was a fellow named Rob Carpenter, who's on the board now. He used to work at Angleac back in the early 2000s with a firm called Kamenak. And uh, he's a great geo. Uh, he's got a lot of historical knowledge. I mean, when we look up some of these historical reports that have been written on sort of things like regional geology of the area, He's what he's you know of the three authors. He's one of them. So uh, a lot of good institutional knowledge from the, the history, uh, but what's going on there in t- terms of being able to interpret. I mean, this is a structurally controlled um, environment. So having that history and that uh, insight is is trusts invaluable. So the board is uh, terrific. Uh, management's terrific. Nancy's good. Yeah, we've got a team in St. John's, uh, four or five people. Uh, we've got some young geos who are performing exceptionally well. Things on site today are going surprisingly better than planned uh doesn't really happen or, or we're getting more meters than we thought we're you know the core logging all the operational details are well above so from that standpoint uh, the assays will tell tell the story but uh, operationally logistically everything's going uh smooth sailing so couldn't couldn't be happier Right. Okay. So we'll see. Um, I see you. P- you picked up the uh, Anglag project from from Valor. Um, you know, hence you know Jim and Rob uh, joining the board. I I, I guess is. Um, I'm intrigued. The why, first of all, why why did that make sense? You already had a project in in, in Labrador. Why did this opportunity come along? And you know, I guess the terms of the deal would be kind of interesting as well to to note. Yeah. Uh, both Phil Phil Williams and I we covered. Uh, what was called the old Kivalik, which is a company that had the asset uh, 15 years ago. Both of us have always been intrigued by the asset because of the high grade. The knock against it, you know, 15 years ago was that, you know, can you can you build in Nunavut? And since then, Ignico uh, uh, has done us all a great favor, has demonstrated with Meliodine and Meadowbank, uh, and I guess Hope Bay now, that uh, you can successfully permit, successfully operate, build, and operate in the Southern Arctic. So that potential obstacle is, uh, is, is eliminated or, or dealt with. And so, you know, when you look at the, when you look at the grade of this thing, it's, it's, it's eye popping. I mean, it's not eye popping for the Athabasca basin, but it's eye popping for the rest of the world where things are, you know, 0.1 and less than 0.1 and huge tonnages. What really attracts us to the asset is, is that, but it, this could be a, you could build this asset in the next cycle. I mean, we could build it now. We don't have an economic study today, an official one, but we've done some back of the cocktail napkin uh, estimates uh, and people, anyone, you know, a, a good mining analyst who understands uh, narrow vein mining uh, would be able to figure out sort of a, a rough capex, a rough uh, opex and sort of, sort of rough, ep- rough economics. And this is, this is economical at 50, $60 where we are in the uranium. Well, would we love more? Of course, but this is a, this is a, an asset that could actually, you know, if this were in private hands, uh, this would probably be built. And it would probably be operating at a million and a half to two million pounds a year. Would it be super exciting for public markets? Maybe not. But would it be enough you owned it personally? 
you'd be, uh, you know, as an owner and as a private owner, you'd be, uh, you'd be loving that. So, you know, if we can increase that resource and get that production, everyone thinks the magic, there's a magical uh, notion in everyone's head that you need a hundred million pounds uh, before you go into production. That's fine. And are we going to get there tomorrow? No. But are we going to demonstrate that we're on our way there? Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, the plant size we'd be looking at is very small. We'd be looking at under 500 tons a day. So that's that's not uh, the plant size we used to build in Africa. We're between 4,000, 8,000 tons a day. So this is this would be, you know, one fifth, one tenth of that. So from that standpoint, not a problem. And the logistics up there are fairly um, are fairly known. Again, Nick was shown that or Pat paved the way. So. This is really an asset that can go a little quicker than most on the development uh, timeline. Well, talk, talk to me about the what you're trying to do here, because obviously you're saying, okay, th this asset right now isn't, you know, let's say a, a, a world beater, but it's it's a good start, right? And you'll build out the the resource reserve numbers um, there. What one hopes with the, with the drilling, but you've assembled a team. I'm looking at Justin Reed. I know he's a deal maker. I know you, I know Phil, you're, you come from the financial side of things. This is about creating deals. So I'm intrigued as to what the conversations were when you went and raised that money. You got a lot of money in the bank. Most juniors are so cash constrained at the moment. You raised a lot of money. Um, it's quite clear you're going to be quite aggressive. You picked up this asset. But what did you say to the groups where, where you've raised the money from? When you're talking to brokers, when you're talking to institutions, when you're talking to retail, what's, what's the promise from you about what you're going to try and do in terms of value creation? Yeah, I think what we've, what we've told people, what we're again, what we're going to uh, really focused on delivering is really growing the resource. The resource has been the same since about 2013, so it's been the same for 10, 10 years or so. And uh, although it's 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 not small, it's not big. It's sort of in that in that uh, bit of no man's land or medium size. Again, in private hands, it would probably be in production, but people want to see people want to see five million pounds a year. That's fine. Uh, you know, at, at hundred billion pounds, that would be fine as a resource. So, what we've committed to people is that this money is going to be solely, basically, solely focused on drilling at Angle Act and basically to grow the resource. And you know, the plan is this season bringing six thousand meters. The plan is next season something a little bit more substantial than that. And then update the resource at the end of uh, at the end of next season around this time next year. So, but what we're going to attempt to do to people is give people cross sections so they can see the existing resource, they can see where we're drilling, they can they can sort of join the lines, if you will, and even sort of a you know someone who's not a mining engineer can can sort of do a height times light times width times grade um, calculation and, and come up with their own rough gauge of you know, our progress to date without actually having an official resource. Okay. So you, you talked recently in a press release about, you know, having drill targets, et cetera. Now, clearly, you, you've already got 43 million uh, pounds here. There must be some historic data that you've kind of picked up along the way. And plus, obviously, you've, you've got in the in, in the shape of Rob, someone who's, you know, worked in the, in the area as well. So does that make things easier in terms of targeting um, for the drill bit in terms of your drill planning? Absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, we we have a we have an embarrassment of riches in terms of targets, and and you know the the property is roughly forty kilometers wide, twenty kilometers high. So this is a big property, and um, although it's got some great regional potential, there's great smoke everywhere. There's all sorts of things to follow up on. If this property were in a large company, you could easily do a five year, twenty million dollar a year program for five years, um, and you know this this would be this would be highly proven. Obviously, we don't we're not 
that's not us today. Um, but that's the potential that this uh, this property has. And so, in, you know, in the short term, although we're we continue to evaluate some of these uh, newer targets from our radiometric survey, we are solely focused. There's enough targets that we could be drilling for at least two to five years without much without much more target generation. So it's a you know on strike, uh, just a little bit of offset. There's some faulting. There's some faulting in there. But you know we're we've only scratched the surface. The existing resources on five kilometers of the fifteen kilometer trend. So, you know, I'm I'm not unconvinced that we can't get to a hundred billion pounds just on the existing trend and the offsets. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll we'll prove that up. But um, you know, it's got that potential. So what's what's the what's the time frame? So so I appreciate the, the what you what do you want to do and the fact you have got the money to to get after it for sure. Um, looking at the macro, your your big bull on on this one. Looking at the share price, it's not had the reaction yet. What do, what do you think is going to be a driver of that share price? What's going to be a driver of the value creation for you? Is it just through the drill bit, and is it realistically is it going to be angle that's going to be driving that? Um, yeah, more so um, than than obviously uh, you know the the Labrador project. Yeah, yeah, for sure it's going to be the Angleac project. We believe that it's going, to, it's going to drive the value here. And a lot of people tend to do sort of the quick, dirty valuation on a dollar per pound basis, um, which is fine. Uh, so, you know, uh, today uh, we're at roughly, call it roughly 40, you know, $40 million. We're about a dollar a pound today, uh, plus or minus, which uh, you can slice and dice the comps all you want. Um, the Athabasca people trade in five to five, six dollar range. Uh, you know, should we be there? No, maybe not. Maybe we're not quite. We're quite not quite that high grade. But again, you know, in our corporate presentation, we show the orientation of the ore body. Grade's important, but this is this starts at surface. It goes down 300 meters. Um, you can open pit it. You can underground it. You can do a combo of the of the two. And realistically, if if we do what we say we're going to do, and the shareholders want us to, which is drill this season, drill next season, and demonstrate that growth, and the market still yawns on us, okay, that's fine. Uh, the plan would be then we'll take something and we'll demonstrate a few things that we can do. We can demonstrate the economics for people. We'll do a PEA or a pre-PEA or, or we'll give people the information to get to the economics. And if it shows an NPV, which is which we believe is is substantial, then people can go, okay, well, you know, forget about the dollar per pound. If, if it's the NPVs X, they, maybe they get 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, pick your, pick your poison um, because the economics are such. I mean, where the whole dollar per pound comes from is, it's trying to, at a very high level, cut through the the profitability of the project. And then if people aren't going to give us that value, we'll have to demonstrate that value, that they're that economic value to people one way or another. Right. And But how, how does that happen? Because like, you, you worked in the markets, you know what kind of moves the dial in the markets, right? Um, if this project, which is coming to you with a lot of plans or, you know, from, from day one, does not excite the market, does not, you know, get the market going... What, what do you do? Do you look at other assets? Do you go over to Labrador or do you kind of, you know, start picking up the phone and saying to people, because you've got, you know, obviously Phil Williams's um, company over there in terms of consolidation. Yet are there deals to be done or are you not concerned about that? Uh, sure, there's always deals to be done, but we're more concerned about getting the value uh, at some reasonable value for Ankelac. I mean, to, to dilute the company today is, is, is in my view, it's crazy. Because um, we're not we're not getting anywhere near the value that Dangleac deserves, and so we're going to have to surface that value. And if the market itself won't surface it for us, and we do what we say we're going to do, and we fulfill that, then some of our options are 
private equity. Um, a lot of the private equity people are, are looking more substantially in the Iranian square where they, they haven't been sort of five or 10 years ago. I think that's probably a recognition that they, they see what I see, which is sort of a five to 10 year bull market. I mean, if you talk about decarbonization and net zero and all these goals that it, um, all the countries in the world has for themselves, nuclear is squarely in the pocket there. It, it, just, it just can't happen without it. I mean, you could, you could argue if everything everyone promised and everyone hopes for works, you know, you still may not get there. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a monumental mountain to climb. But uh, for sure, nuclear is in that, that square. I think that's why the more um, uh, steadfast f- private equity people who have sort of a five to 10 year time frame are looking in there. Uh, the one thing that we'll have to do for people like that and for some corporates um, and what we're doing now is demonstrate that permitting is uh, not an issue because corporates are one side, but the private equity people usually have the usual thing. They, you know, they, they fundraise, they invest for two years, they, you know, they, they manage and, and, and do their thing for five years. And with a 10 year life, you have to harvest in years seven to 10. So they have to have a sense that the permitting is not going to mess up that time frame. So, you know, we're behind the scenes, we're, we're doing, you know, it's, it's not exciting to the market, but it's exciting to people who have a, who have a little bit longer, sort of a five to 10 year time frame both corporates and private equity people. Okay, well, let's talk, let's talk about the Nunavut and its acceptance of mining and the permitting process. You, you know, Canada's been, had a bit of a, a rough ride as far as perceptions concerned with regards to uranium permits and licenses just taking that a little bit longer. Are you, are you obviously aware, aware of that in the background, but what, what's Nunavut's um, attitude to uranium and mining? They, um, there's no operating, there's, there's three operating gold mines, one operating iron mine. And so, you know, the, can you get mining permitted? That should demonstrate to people that that's possible. And you will go look at the Agnico disclosure, the bathroom disclosure, and then see that, uh, it's got a 10, 10, 15 year history there. That's great. Um, but uranium in particular, uh, I think one of the issues that we have to explain better to people is the Kigavik. Kigavik is a deposit that's north of us. It's owned by mainly uh, Arano or Re- the, old, the, new, the new Arriva, the, that's the new name for them. Um, and it's uh, it's about 127 million pounds. It's quite large. It's quite good. It's about 0.5 in grade. It's it's, it's nicely economic. Um, but there's a perception that Nunavut is anti-uranium, which is just categorically false. There's a one of the local um, people that are in the permitting process, it's called NTI, Nunavut Tuk Tuk Inc. It's an actual corporation. And it operates like a, you you know we all think of a corporation, um, but what the what the territory did when they separated from the Northwest Territories in 1999, as well as put some federal money into this uh, corporation, it manages all the subsurface uh, mineral rights to the territory on any one land. And so our deal with NTI today is the same deal that Agnico has. It's the same deal that everybody has. And so from that standpoint, it's quite professionally run. It's quite well well done. And anyone can go um, onto their website. Uh, just Google up NTI none of it, and you can see they have a uranium policy, uh, and it says it's it's you know it obviously has to be done properly and with consultation and all that. But it's uh, they say they're pro uranium in there, so anyone can go and independently verify that. And so we, you know one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're we put a slide in our deck explaining the Kigavik history, and what what Kigavik didn't did, which is sort of a little odd, is they wanted a permit without a start date. That that was the whole reason they got their permit denied they submitted their permit and they even said up front we you know at the current uranium price at the time in 2015 it was sort of the mid-30s they said 
at, at current prices, it's not economic. But we're submitting the permit, and we'd like to keep the the, the start date open ended. Well, that that didn't really go over well with a lot of people, including the government and including the local communities. And basically, there's commentary out there that says, "That's great. We like uranium. We like these guys, but this isn't. A, they're not. They're not serious. We can't sit and have a project, you know, over our heads for decades and decades and see what happens." And so when they basically, they basically said, "When you're, when when the when the company's serious to to get going, come back, and we're happy to we're happy to entertain it." Right. Yeah, you come back when you're ready. Yeah, it's fair enough. Well, it, it was obviously when you're serious. Yeah, when you when you when you're serious, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's re, that's a reasonable response. Um, obviously, the market is getting a little bit more serious um, with prices in the in the high high fifties um, at at the moment, and you know I think it's. Well, established what's going on geopolitically with regards to uh, you know reactor builds, extensions, uh, the Ru- the Russia situation, Russian sanctions, etc. It, it's kind of it's, it's building up into into quite a, quite a nice um, story for for uranium for sure. But and we, we've got to, we've got to think about exploration companies like yourself and, and that kind of that process. So if I'm looking in as an investor, potential investor of this company now. Um, I'm seeing t- two assets which are being allocated a bunch of capital. You're not cash constrained in any any way, but there's a process to 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 go through. So time frames, you know, I'd be I'd be in this for what for what 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 what's going to happen when if I, if I look forward. Well, I mean, it, it depends on what you 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 can have both the short, medium, and time frame depending on your long time frame depending on your 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 outlook. Um, what's going to create value in the short term? I believe or we're hopeful. Is that if we can demonstrate that growth in size, and you maintain the grade, that has to, even if even if you don't agree with the dollar per pound as a valuation metric, if we grow the pound by twenty percent, we should grow the value by twenty percent. If all things being equal, um, I'm hopeful that that dollar per pound is going to increase as well. So there's sort of a, a double whammy there. Again, that's going to take the market or someone to to make that happen. Uh, in the medium term, I think for people who have a little bit more Patience and outlook, if you will, um, who appreciate that that as we advance the permitting and we demonstrate to people that it can be permitted. Um, in my mind, I think it's a it's a two to five year time frame. It may go quicker, it may go longer, but you know we've we've already started uh, community consultations. We've already started that process. So, um, you know, the, the medium term outlook would be if we can demonstrate that this can be an asset for this cycle and it can get. Built in this cycle, I mean, it can get built. That means I just build it. But if it's economic at the current market price, it's you know, it's again, we can we can do all this, and people can still yell on. That's fine. And then long term, ultimately, if if we do what we say we're going to do, and we do all the right things, and ultimately uh, the market still uh, yawns and just doesn't care, that's fine. Um, you know, today we have uh, you know we have a handful of strategics. In, the, in our shareholder base who are looking at us, they're looking at us for what we think, which is this is an asset for the cycle. And, uh, you know, they're they're doing, you know, it's classic buyer-sellers. Seller wants highest, buyer wants lowest. So they're sitting there, they've sort of dipped their toe in a little bit and watching us. Um, I'm sure they're hoping that this all proves to be true and we do all the work and the market still yawns and they can pick us up at a sort of a, you know, a more reasonable value. Um you know, I don't see, I don't see, I don't see this company floundering because the. I mean, we we may flounder just because the, the the market yawns on us, but the asset is so good that the asset's going to be in someone's hands, and the asset I believe is going to get built in the next cycle. 
by us, by someone else. It didn't, you know, we're not a lifestyle company. We're not wedded to this. We want to see the right things done. Uh, and you're not, you know, we're not entrenched. So, you know, someone comes knocking at our door and wants to look at the data. They can, they can look all they want. Okay. Well, like, I, I think it's the first pass. That's been an interesting conversation, Sean. Um, we can some, maybe if, if we, if we hook up again, we can, um, maybe run through CFB in a, in a little bit more detail, but to kind of get the gist of the allocation of capital and what you're focused on for the next few months. So appreciate your time. Stay in touch. Okay. Sure. Thanks, Mike.